Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Good morning, Sarasota. This is the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Virtually every community has one. It's the iconic company that serves as a foundational anchor by providing jobs and even shaping the culture of the entire region. Today's guest represents exactly this type of company. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, and I'm very pleased to welcome Drayton Saunders, president of Michael Saunders and Company. In this episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about Drayton, his past connection with the country of Chile, what it was like to take over the family business, Drayton's take on the big issue of affordable housing, the future he sees for Michael Saunders and company, and much, much more. I'm so gratified you stopped by today, and it is my hope that you will listen, learn, and connect. Drayton Saunders, president of Michael Saunders and company, welcome to the Sarasota Stories podcast. Bob, I'm so excited. Thank you. It is a pleasure to have you on because uh, there's a handful of companies around here and individuals that are really iconic to the greater Sarasota area, and Michael Saunders is definitely that. So I was really excited to get you guys uh, on the show today because when I did my research on you, I didn't realize all the different divisions and how big you all had grown, and we're going to get into all that, but I always start off with my favorite question, which is what is one thing that most people don't know about Drayton Saunders? Wow. Uh, well, I, that's a really great question. I thought about what would be the one thing. Maybe that my uh, I've lived in Chile. Well, we might we might be talking about that experience before real estate. But I think people kind of know a little bit about that. Um, I guess it's my hobby that people are surprised with. That I uh, uh, I when I lived abroad, I, I had to learn how to dance, and that uh, sort of. Uh, from somebody who grew up as the person in the high school gym sitting against the wall, uh, stressed about that experience, <laughs> I kind of jumped full feet into it. And, and now my passion is ballroom dancing. So that is my hobby. And I think people don't really know that's part of uh, what uh, kind of is one of the things that I do. Is that right? I had I'm t I can't remember which episode it was, but I had the um, I had a local dance studio on. Fred Astaire. And I was thinking, you know, that is something I really need to learn how to do. And I'll tell you what looks great is salsa dancing. So, That's where I cut my teeth in, in South America. If you, you couldn't dance, you were not going to get very far socially. So I had to learn how to do salsa, but then uh, it kind of migrates into, and do you, I don't know if you know the famous scene from 
uh, Son of a Woman, where Al Pacino's doing the tango. And so yep. I was like, oh, I always wanted to learn how to do the tango. And then yep. little by little, you get sucked into a hobby, and it's a passion. Well, I just want to let our listeners know that both you and I have had stints down in Chile. I was down there as a businessman. We were looking for some property and looking to do business down there. And it's a great comp, uh, it's a great country. Most people think of Argentina and Brazil, you know, maybe Colombia and some of the larger countries down there, but Chile actually works. <laughs> yes, I was there early fascinating time. It's uh, yes, it's the kind of hidden, uh, you know, they're the very um, down to earth, very conservative Latin American uh, country. They've been very uh, fortunate with a lot of things. But when I was there, they were in this huge growth period. So I got to see this amazing transformation wow. of of uh, kind of coming out of the uh, dictatorship in the 80s. Kind of I got there in the early 90s. And so I was there. This is huge boom period. Um, and to see something kind of change and grow that quickly was fascinating, but uh, made great lifelong connections. A lot of good friends from that time. But yeah, we share that connection of South America. Yeah, because it was, I think it was Allende was the, was the communist regime down there. And then Pinochet came in and kind of cleared all that out. And I think if the story goes right, at some point, the Pinochet regime said, you know, we really don't know how to run the economy of a country and, and tell me, you probably know more about this than I do. And it was uh, the Chicago boys, I think. Yes. Some, some young economists that went down there from Chicago School of Economics and kind of showed them how to do it. Yeah. And I'm, you know, not an economist, but certainly that is part of that, that storyline. And, and so I entered kind of that would have been the 80s. I came in yep. in the 90s and that was really. Um, politics aside, what you had in the 90s was this really huge influx of people who had left the country due to the, those years of conflict, had gone out into, you know, whether it was the U.S. or Australia or Europe, and they finally felt they could come back. And so you had this really fascinating experience of all these new ideas coming back into Chile and really driving, whether it was the 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 food culture or wow. just that international experience. It was interesting to see both the evolution of just being in a foreign country, but at a time when lots of people were coming back and bringing new ideas. And so I think that that uh, parallel is, is that I think that's a, that inbound talent is also a page of Sarasota. And we're very fortunate to, for very different reasons that we have people moving here with lots of ideas from other places. And so well, we sure do. Um, I think in some ways got to see a, a little bit of what I was going to return to, which was a very dynamic, growing community. You mean here in Sarasota? Yeah, but that was my, yes. And a parallel yeah. between the two was I was there during these boom years. And then sure enough, I landed back in Sarasota in 03 at the, at the kind of beginning of that boom cycle. Uh, and certainly we're in another one now. It's interesting because I was down there in the 2010s and what I saw was a lot of the Venezuelans moving there because they were leaving their country, which is under because Venezuela is going through a really rough time right now, has mm -hmm. been for better part of 20 years. And so it's so I hope one day they can get their their uh, situation turned around. And those folks will take those ideas back and build something. Yeah, but it was a special opportunity. I think uh, one of the things that living in Chile taught me was that there's uh, more than one perspective on things. And, and as much as I was really uh, happy to return home and, 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 you know, after living abroad for 10 years, um, 
know, I will always appreciate that lesson of perspective that, that you, you always have to remember there are multiple um, ways to view something and view the world and, and appreciating other people's perspective on something really is enriching. And so I got that as a lesson from living in Chile. That's incredible because I, I always felt the same way growing up in the Cincinnati area and raising my, my three daughters. I wanted to give them that gift of being able to at least live partially overseas. And so we used to send them to, uh, to Panama to learn Spanish. And, uh, I think that they, I, they would agree with you. It just it gives you an education that you could not get from university at all. So, but how my, my curiosity is, is given how wonderful Chile is, you know, how did you end up, you know, coming back here and, uh, running the, you know, the family business? Well, that's a really good question, and I'll try to make it a, a short story. But uh, <laughs> let me give it. Let me back up a couple steps. So, I was born on Long. Uh, I was born at Sarasota Memorial, um, and so uh, and grew up on the north end of Longboat Key. And this was sort of. Um, uh, I'm 50 now, so 70s. Sarasota is a very different place. Very much the beach town era. Um, and North, North Longboat Key was sort of, I mean, I realize now as a dad, why nobody came out for play dates because it was a really long drive. I'll bet, um, yeah. and so, uh, very idyllic childhood, uh, you know, sand in my shoes as my, uh, mom would say. Uh, and then around 15, we moved, we moved to Seattle. And so, um, really never thought I would come back to Sarasota at that point. You know, I, it was sort of my childhood home, uh, went abroad to work. And the reason I'm back was, uh, it's really a story of passion. And I think in life, you, you, you always search for what you're passionate about. And I loved living abroad. It was great, but I knew I wasn't going to be an expat the rest of my life. Yeah. And then I'd started this business, this bagel coffee shop in South America. And as much as I love the entrepreneurial challenge and the adventure of coming up with the ideas and the design, I realized that making bagels was not my passion in life. And so <laughs> uh, I think knowing what you don't want to do is just as helpful as knowing what you want to do. And it happened to be a uh, fateful summer. It was summer 2001, uh, you know, obviously pre 9-11. And I was home for that one trip a year that I would just check in with. I think I was coming back to a college reunion. And uh, my mom sat me down and said, hey, I want to ask you, do you uh, see yourself living in Chile the rest of your life? And I said, well, no, I don't. And she said, well, you're passionate about what you're doing. And I said, well, no, it's not really, it's not my calling. And, she, and then she gave me the offer I couldn't refuse, but she said, well, what would you think about coming back and joining me? And so that was really the pivot. It was, uh, my, I owe it all to her to be brave, to open the door to a generational structure in business. And, and now that I've been back 20 years in the business, I realize what a big decision that is as a parent. Um, a lot goes into that decision. A lot does go into that decision. I mentioned to you before we hit record, I was the youngest of three brothers and all three of us work for a family business. And, it's a completely different dynamic, I think, than the true corporate world, because the sentiments that you have as the next generation coming on, of course, is continuing legacy and that that sort of thing. And there's a certain pressure that that comes with it uh, compared to someone who's just maybe only managing their career. And uh, it, it, it is a big decision for a parent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I didn't really realize it then when I, I uh 
you know, I, of course, uh, I look back, I laugh a little bit because I thought I was being very responsible saying, well, that, you know, let, let me think that's a lot to consider. Let's, let's sleep on it. And, you know, I want to make sure you're sure. And I probably should have realized then that she'd given it a lot of thought long before she asked me. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, you know, it was, uh, it was for me a personally a big decision. It was a, it was, um, I knew a couple things, uh, at that point. I knew that I was not going to live abroad forever. And I knew that I was not going to continue to be passionate about doing what I was doing. Right. And I knew that Michael had built, uh, reference her as Michael in my work. Uh, mine just uh, people are confused between mom and Michael. Uh, I think the first thing you do in a family business is you separate those two yeah, parts. Of your brain. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, but I knew that she had built a team built around excellence. And one of the things that was very exciting to me, having struggled with all the things you struggle in food service, um, was alignment around a goal of excellence. And I knew enough about the company to know that that's what she had built people that were all focused on the same goals and really striving to be the best at what they did. And I said, you know what? I don't know. You know, I don't really have an adult view of Sarasota. I have to relearn a community. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of real estate. I grew up around it, but that's, that's not a good, you know, that's sort of a different view of real estate when you grow up around a business. But I knew that she had an amazing team. And I said, if for no other reason, I'm excited about being in a team and learning from a team that that um, clearly by being good at what they did will teach me a lot. And so that was really the the, the premise. And, and I went back to sell the business and come back and join her. And uh, then I ran into the, the second most difficult thing, or some people would say the most difficult thing in a business is not starting it, but selling it. Uh, yeah. So then I spent about two years trying to get out of the bagel business and then came back officially in 2003 to join the company. My middle brother had a gym down in Brazil. He had lived down there for a decade or so and went through the same thing. So you, you have my heartfelt. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, Bob, I remember the, I, I have this meeting with, with Michael. I'm excited to come back and I, I fly back to Chile. Now you remember this is a, I have a, a two, I have a bagel shop with two stores and I have a wholesale bakery and I've, and we were selling product to, uh, you know, the airlines and hotels and not bagels, just a whole bunch of other stuff we had right, to, right. to do to make it work. And uh, the the headline in the paper that day, imagine it's like coming into the real estate market in 08 where it, nothing was, you know, everything was just in free fall. Well, right. Chile was going through a recession at that point. And the, and the headline in the paper, the day I got home, having decided to come back to Sarasota was, uh, recession worst in a decade, five worst businesses. Well, do you know what the number one worst business was? Bagel Obviously shop. restaurants. Yeah. Well, it could have been bagel <laughs> shops. So I was trying to sell a business in the worst possible you know, market. So uh, that was a lesson in and of itself. You know, you know, I, and I, we do have to leave Chile here and kind of, I, I want to get into uh, the business and whatnot, but were you down there for any of their famous um, earthquakes that they have? You know, I, I lived through, and I'm very mindful that we just heard about, you know, horrible one, but I'd never lived through earthquakes. So yeah, I was there during one. Um, and, and I know we probably won't have time for that story, but I had never lived through one. And and I was in the house apartment and my neighbor started screaming at the top of their lungs. And I thought this was it. I thought I'm, this is done. I run to, I heard, I thought, okay, get in the middle of a doorway. And I went to go leave the apartment and uh, my roommate at the time had locked the door. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm not going to make it because my damn roommate locked the door. Um, but yeah, that only one, one major earthquake. 
I, I will I will say uh, my youngest daughter and I were down there and we were in the 16th floor is El Golf was the name of the neighborhood. And we were yeah sure on the second on the 16th floor. She was in her room. I was in my room and, and I was trying to flip the TV around to find any type of English that I could <laughs> on TV. I could find and the bed started shaking and I hear her in the next room. She goes, dad, did you did you feel that? I go. Let's get out of here. So we so we take off. We take off downstairs, and the guy at the front desk looks at us and goes, "What's wrong?" I said, "Didn't you feel that that shaking?" Like he goes, "Yeah, it happens all the time. It's not a big deal." So we were we were true Yankees in that. Uh, yeah, in, I in think that environment. That's sort of like our version of explaining hurricanes to people who've never yeah. lived in Florida before. So you guys. So Michael Saunders, you have 700 agents, you got 24 branch offices, you got in-house divisions, you got mortgage, title, insurance, relocation, new homes, condominium, and commercials, commercial uh, division. Give us a little bit of a view from the top. You got it. You, you have all these, you know, you have all these balls that you have to keep in the air and you have pressures competition, a changing environment and whatnot. What are some of the things that are impacting your company right now that you guys are mindful of, that you're planning of, that you that you're having to just deal with kind of this these drastic changes that we're being faced with as not as a state, but an economy, really the world. Yeah, it's a it's a interesting challenge because you do uh, as a company, we we've grown organically over the years. Every one of those areas that you mentioned, we're a product of serving our customer. Um, and, you know, it started with residential real estate, but then in the eighties, Michael realized developers were coming. And so we, that's the, was the onset of the commercial division. And then, mm. you know, a lot of developers would look for land and then wanted to market their uh, ultimately their product. So a lot of that vertical, like the Ritz Carlton's of the world that we help sell that out. So one thing always leads to another. So one lesson is, you know, follow your customer and you grow around that journey. Um, but then there's also that 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 narrative is that every time you take on a business, you have to be serious about if we're committed to excellence, doing it really well. And that is a challenge that everyone has different pressures. So, um, you know, technology has affected the way we do business across all of those. Sure um, has. But you know what we found is that we're still in a people business. And so if you said, what's the common thread? Uh, you read a lot of headlines about automation and digital the sort of digital world we live in and uh, lots of disruptors in real estate. Everybody's trying to figure out how to, whether it's disrupting financing, whether it's disrupting real estate, whether it was the trend of iBuyers, which is that sort of, uh, you know, you press a button, sell your home and somebody, you know, is uh, the Zillows of the world. Well, yeah, we, we've had to navigate through all of that. What I still find is true about our business is it's a people business that uh, and that really is the common core that if you said, how do we lead any one of those divisions? It's focusing on the relationships or the heart of the success of each of those lines of business. And that's really the the reason we're successful at that is because they still gravitate around the same topics, whether we're talking about residential real estate or commercial or new homes or helping people finance. It's still that relationship at the core of it. So, so then how do you translate that into the people that you hire? You have a new agent that comes on, whether or it's commercial. How do you translate that? Because regardless of the industry, that's very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. 
to really be able to take corporate values and to instill them into someone new that comes into the organization and really make it stick? What what are some of the keys that you guys do in order to to do that? Well, I think every, you know, I, I know that this is not a new thing, but I think you have to have a roadmap. And so uh, we have a very clear value uh, for principles. Uh, we have an integrity, communication, excellence, and mutual profitability are four values that we live by. And each of them have kind of elements underneath. You have to live your values. And, and that's how we make decisions. And that's how we want people to understand what they're joining. So, you know, I like to focus on excellence. And integrity, and and I, you know, it is so easy in any business to um, be caught up in a situational decision making narrative, and we go back to those two points to say, is this going to define us as a company based in excellence? Are people going to look at us with integrity? Um, and if we can answer those questions, yes, then that's those tough decisions become easy to make. So, how do we do it across somebody who's working in our title team, our mortgage team? commercial, they have to believe in that. And um, it's not always easy. I mean, when you strive sure. for, for um, you know, in, in, in a competitive business, you have to make tough decisions. Uh, I, I know Michael and I will, will, will tell this story often that, you know, if somebody's not in our value alignment, we off, you know, we don't do it often, but we've asked them to part ways. And Absolutely. One of, the, one of the toughest was in the recession. So you got to remember, this is 08, 09. Um, you know, we we parted away with the with the top team, and it's just we weren't in alignment. Um, tough decision financially, but the right decision culturally. That's and I great. think you make you make those kind of decisions as um, as a leader, and and that's something I've learned from from Michael is that you have to be willing to make those tough calls. I mean, and that that is very tough. Something I've always been fascinated by, of course, is is um, well, actually it's college football, but they, a new coach comes in and. Their success or lack thereof depends upon whether the players buy into the process that they put in place mm-hmm. and the values that they have. And, it, and it's really interesting to see some of the um, players, like particularly when a coach was not successful, they'll say, well, we just we never really bought in to the system. And and I will say I will say I'll give you I'll give you a couple of real world feedback. Uh, there's a friend of mine who's long since retired from real estate, but he got started about the same time as uh, Michael did. He said, you guys are really tough competitors the whole time. He's with, obviously with a different firm. So you guys are really tough mm-hmm. competitors. But when we sold my uh, mother and father-in-law's home after they had passed, we sold a home on Bird Key and Peter, Sol- Peter Solafsky was the, yeah. was a realtor for that. And he, it's a bit of a long story, but he, we were getting it ready for the market and whatnot. And we pull up one day, my wife and I pull up one day, and they're power washing the driveway. <laughs> they mm-hmm. said it didn't look right. And, and I, Doug, I can't, Doug is since retired. I forget his last name, but uh, mm-hmm. he and Peter, they're out there power washing the driveway. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, going, well, that was we- Peter. Peter's uh, first of all, Peter's fabulous. He's a, he's an amazing part of our our culture. I mean, he is just a great person in his own right. And that was Doug Fetish who he worked with. Doug Fetish, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, but we just got the biggest kick out of the fact like they would do that. And then, of course, you know, we're buying a home and say, you know, I, I guys, I need some plumbing. It needs to be done. Will you help me out there? <laughs> 
you know, a lot of the time, all these fancy shows about selling fill in the blank, you know, uh, real estate has its glamour side, but it has a lot of details. And, and, you know, that's, that's all part of what we sign up for is, is helping execute. And sometimes that's power washing a driveway. Wow. Well, that was something it really, and we've been friends with Peter ever since then. Let's switch gears here a little bit and uh, talk about, you mentioned a little bit about affordable housing that, has been an issue ever since I have been here in 2015 uh, to clear back when um, all the fellow slips, uh, the, the former president of uh, the chamber of commerce um, just slipped my mind. Anyways, I had to, anyways, ever since 2015 affordable housing has been an issue that I know of mm-hmm. talk about what some of you all are discussing now about how to address it. Is it, I'm sure it's a multifaceted, um issue and kind of some some of the players that are involved with that gosh uh, bob that's a great question i don't know if you're referring to maybe kevin cooper kevin cooper thank you yeah Yeah. he's over at moat now he is and but i know he's been committed to to community and i know this is one of the issues he tracks very closely um and excuse me excuse me for interrupting i was going to because i like to plug people every once in a while Mm -hmm. I had Mark Vengroft on episode 79 and now he's, he's part of one stop housing. I think you and I, before we hit record, you said you met him recently. So I know he's part of that, that whole uh, thing of dealing with affordable housing, but I'm sorry, please go ahead. No, that's great. And Mark, I don't, you know, I haven't um, got a chance to talk to about affordable housing and table housing, but I know that's something he is passionate about. I know something his dad was passionate about, Um, you know, as a realtor, you know, we, we firmly believe in home ownership. It, you know, we, that's what we preach and that's what we help navigate. Um, a lot of people know us for the luxury end of the market. I mean, that's really where, where Michael built the company's brand and reputation was in that luxury, um, skill set. But we, we, we work across all price points. And as we've watched the market evolve, uh, as a business leader and, and more people who have, uh, a whole team that's trying to make this their home as a community, that pressure of, of the cost of housing is real. And it is something that I don't think any business leader, whether you're, you know, at the hospital, the school district, a nonprofit, you're worried about can people find a way to call this home and whether they're navigating the rental market or eventually buying into that dream of home ownership, uh, it has gotten more difficult. Um, so that is, that's, that pressure is there. As far as like solutions, and this is where the conversation, you could do a whole nother episode on it and probably still not uh, nail it down. It's a tricky moving target. Uh, and as I'm sure Mark and others have commented on, you have lots of categories. There's attainable, there's affordable, there's lots of different parameters to um, what that means. I think what's important as a business leader is that we're finally getting seri- more serious as a community about um, putting new solutions on the table. Um, and I think that's the real pivot. And if you've seen some of the decisions the city's been making about uh, their zoning code, you look at some of the things the county's doing, I do believe that the drumbeat for not just doing something, but thinking about what we need to do differently. And I think, you know, it's the old line um, or the old that adage of, you know, if, if you can't make a difference doing the same thing over and over, what you know, that, you got to dismount that strategy and try something new. And I think we're pivoting that as we've evolved as a community, we have to be pushing into new ideas to address a very multifaceted challenge. Um, and I, and I do believe our leaders are, are, are doing that slowly, but surely. Um, but there's more that needs to be done. And I think it's, it's one that 
we have all the components in Sarasota and in the surrounding region uh, to bring solutions to the table. We have great nonprofits. We have, you know, uh, a business community that I know is supportive of these ideas. And we have an elected leadership that's hearing how important it is. So I think now is the time to keep the pressure on and keep the creativity coming about how we we continue to build into a smarter array of things to help make sure we're a balanced community when it comes to housing. To, to me, it's such a complex issue because not only do you have changing interest rate environment, you have mm-hmm. tons of people that are moving down here, whether it's just because the boomers are aging out and they're retiring or folks just, just, you know, want to come to the, you know, the Florida area in general. Um, and, and to me, it just seems like it's an incredibly complex area to be able to navigate that and really kind of come up with a cohesive plan. I, I'm sure, but I'm also, Convinced of the fact that there have been many other times throughout our country's history, whether San Francisco or Seattle or some of the other cities that have run into the same issue. And do you, do you guys borrow any of their solutions or steal any of their solutions? Well, again, I you know I stick to my day job. I'm not an expert in that <laughs> area of uh, you know all the solutions that come into affordability. But yeah, yeah, yeah I think that is the really big opportunity for us is to continue to look for ideas outside. And we talked a little bit about the beginning of the interview about um, all the talent we have in this community that comes from other places. Um, And so I think there are people here that have those backgrounds. And so tapping into them, certainly an opportunity. Um, But I also think looking externally, I I don't think any community has perfected it. That's the real truth of of if you look at some of those areas you've mentioned. There is no perfect solution. I think what we're, what I measure us by is, can we say this year that we're better at it than we were last year? And I, and if we continue to focus on being better a little bit every year, over time, you become a best-of-class community. And I think that's, that's a business philosophy we use with our team. And I think when it comes to solving community challenges, housing being the one we're talking about now, you have to make sure that you're measuring, saying, are we better this year than we were last year? Do we create more opportunities for somebody to, to find a place this year than we would have otherwise. And, um, you know, so for my job as uh, my community had as a business owner is to make sure that I'm showing up and keeping that conversation front of mind. It's very easy to lose track of what's important sure in is. today's news cycle. It sure is. You know, one of the things I've always enjoyed and ever since I was a snowbird coming down here for several decades, quite frankly, is we go down to St. Armand Circle and you walk around and you hear all the different languages there. Uh, Sarasota is a small town, but it sure is international and ho- has been for, you know, for quite a long time. How much does the international movement in real estate, how much is that a part of your business? And and do you see trends that are happening? You have more people moving in from Europe or from South or more you know business on the commercial side. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, we've always been an inter- interesting, at least in my uh, history, uh, we've always been an international destination. Uh, I think we often forget Canada is uh, an international inbound source. Uh, you know, certainly Canadians are always one of sure. the biggest components to who's looked at this part of Florida. Um, but yeah, for years, um, uh, you know, that we've been on the radar and I can go back to as a child, remembering the kind of people that would come through the colony beach. And for those who don't remember, that's where the St. Regis is now being built. But yep. for many years, it was a destination, a tennis destination, a global destination. 
Um, and we've always had a draw. I think that's the real unique thing about this part of the coast and, and Sarasota specifically is that we do appeal to an international audience um, because of that blend of both lifestyle and culture. Uh, where we see kind of the main audience beyond Canada, you kind of toggle, you know, Europeans would be sort of, you know, the Brits, but that sort of, you know, whether it's the Brits, uh, you get that sort of component of Germany and France, some of it's exchange rate driven, some of it's sort of just the bell cow. I can remember uh, growing up, uh, if you talk to the Swede, the anybody from Sweden, they often, somebody comes here, they fall in love, they tell all their friends. And that's true whether you're coming from Cincinnati, Ohio, or from Stockholm. You know, it, usually there's a bell cow person that says, I found this amazing place. You ought to come check it out. And that's true internationally. Uh, we're connected globally. In fact, um, Later today, I'm, I'm talking to another generational company, uh, and their son actually came here for IMG, so another, again, generator yep. of that international traffic. But they happen to be in real estate. They're part of our leading real estate companies of the world network, uh, and uh, I'm going to be talking to him. And, and, and again, we're connected globally, uh, and we do see that audience, but it changes every year. Um, uh, there's never one dynamic to that international audience. You know, it, the other thing I find interesting about the international aspect of it, I mean, even organizations like uh, Nathan Benderson Park, mm -hmm. uh, I had uh, Stephen Rodriguez on back in episode 70, and I didn't realize all the international events that they do that brings people in again from, you know, with the rowing, with the dragon boats and the, um, you know, the Olympic trials, all that sort of jazz. I mean, it, 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 it's amazing to me. So we're, we are blessed. I mean, I, the, we are not a one faceted town. I'll tell you that much. Um, and every year that I've been here, even since 2003, uh, yeah, you have the rowing facility. What people may not know is there's a new equestrian facility out east, Terra Nova. Um, again, brings a completely different audience to town, but again, the very interesting, uh, you know, certainly national and, and some global reach. So I think that is really the, the magic of our community is that we have these, um, you know, you come for a beach, but we're more than just a beach destination. And that's been our draw for uh, many, many years. It's what we're proud to talk about is uh, in the real estate businesses. We get to talk about so many different facets of what makes this, this part of the coast special. You know, we, we were talking about corporate values a little bit earlier. And one of the things I was impressed with was the uh, Michael Saunders Foundation uh, you guys have given over a million dollars, you know, really since its inception. And uh, apparently a lot of your agents are the ones that, you know, contribute to that and fund that. So it's just, it seems like that's part of the, the fabric of your organization. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. We're very proud of the MSC Foundation. But what makes us proud of that is that it's driven by certainly Michael and I contribute as 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 owners, but really the staff and our agents donate out of their transactions. And and it's really due to that philosophy of giving back to the communities we serve that's driven uh, that over a million dollars that we've been able to give back in the last uh, 10 years. And, you know, that's uh, I think that's what's special about what realtors do in general, but what I know our team here really cares about is um, being involved in community. It's one of the greatest joys that uh, was sort of hidden in coming back. Like I joined a real estate company. What I didn't realize is that part of that is being able to join a community. And so our agents do it. Um, and it's part of the, what I feel is the best, one of the best parts of my job. The, the thing that 
has really impressed me about Sarasota once I became a resident is just the incredible incredible amount of giving that takes place here. As, as a matter of fact, a couple of hours ago, I had Stacy Corley on, who's head of the uh, Sarasota Memorial Health Systems Foundation. She's mm-hmm. She raises the money and whatnot. And, uh, uh, you know, for for their uh, projects. But I mean, what just uh, over and over again, all the philanthropic and nonprofit organizations I've had on this podcast, it just blows me away for this size of a town the amount of giving that takes place. And, you know, when I was on your website preparing for this interview, I mean, like you guys have given to dozens and dozens of organizations over the last, you know, 10 years. And it's just, I think it just really adds to the richness of the lifestyle that we have here. And it's way beyond, you know, what was it? The the sand in your sandals that you grew up with. It's way beyond all that. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's one of the real benefits to this community is we have huge philanthropic, uh, you know, entities that are driving um, transformation. And so whether that's the uh, served on the Community Foundation of Sarasota County um, board, but I know there's there's Gulf Coast, there's others, but combined and they do have their lanes, but they also collaborate. And I think that is a real asset. Um, What we focus on in the foundation is that you know, a lot of those grants we give are to those grassroots organizations that are that right. are, some are more established, but some are just starting out. And what's fascinating and what I, is just great compliment to uh, the passion of people that might start something today, but ten years from now it becomes this bigger entity that's making a huge difference. And so we love to be able to give to grassroots. Um, because those things do evolve and sometimes they don't get the fanfare and focus that some of the larger organizations do that are already on the radar. Drayton, I'm curious, where are you taking Michael Saunders company? Where are you taking it? Well, Michael and I have always said we were, you, you, uh, you grow or you, you know, you have to be in growth mode. And so yep. it's, it's growth, but looking for the right, right opportunities to grow. So we are going to continue to, be focused on that. Uh, we know that the region continues to meld. I think when I came back in 2003, um, there was a little more distinction between market areas. Uh, even Lakewood Ranch, you know, again, was just beginning to evolve. Right. Um, now you really do have to navigate a consumer uh, up and down the coast. So you will continue to look to grow regionally. Um, but the number one job we both have is you build a team for growth. And one of the great lessons I've learned is that, you know, a uh, founder, which my, my Michael founded the company, I'm second generation. Uh, you, you know, you might want to be involved in everything. You have that tendency as an entrepreneurial spirit to want to get involved in every aspect of the business, but really a company has to be prepared for growth, which means you have to have an amazing team. So what we'll continue to focus on is building a amazing team that will then help us grow into those areas. Are there any bagel shops in your future? <laughs> you know, I learned a lot. Um, I I loved the consumer side of that. You know, I love seeing the people who are regulars. Uh, you know, it was it was great adventure. Um, but no, I will not see me uh, making bagels any. Uh, no, probably not even in my home kitchen. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, I think we have to we have to tie it off right there. Well, Drayton, it's been a pleasure having you on the uh, Sarasota Stories podcast. I appreciate it so much. It is going to be interesting to see where you guys take this, con- this uh, company going forward. But I appreciate you being on, and I appreciate all my listeners. And um, 
We hope to have you back on, not too distant future. Well, Bob, thanks so much. It was such a pleasure. All righty. Everybody, thanks again for tuning in. Bye-bye. Hello, dear listeners. This is Bob again. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect.